This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, the leader in win-loss analysis, focused on helping businesses uncover the unique story on how each sales rep can win more deals. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on another rousing edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly, brought to you by Primary Intelligence. I'm Ryan Queller. So look, it's easy for sales reps to get discouraged or to lose motivation. When things get tough, prospects go silent or deals are lost, your reps sometimes may feel discouraged, unmotivated, and negative. And that negativity is contagious, costly, and leads to catastrophe. We see this in our win-loss research. Your prospects experience with your sales rep can make or break a deal outcome, especially in a competitive situation and pricing is similar. And when rep motivation wanes, the buyer's experience with that rep is likely to suffer in turn, decreasing the chance of that rep winning that deal. And I don't know if we can eradicate this entirely. And frankly, we shouldn't even really think of lumping this on sales leaders too, right? Can you imagine in addition to hitting all of these metrics, all of these goals, uh, can, can you ensure that every rep has sunshine and unicorns oozing out of their ears? I mean, come on, man, eradicate no, but mitigate maybe, maybe yes. So we want to explore today is the, is the adage sales reps are coin operated. Is this the only way to help sales reps along? Or is there something else, something more? So how do we, as sales leaders, keep our reps motivated and engaged? For your enjoyment, our friend Brian Trouchold, co-founder at Ambition, is discussing the matter with me today. Hey, dude, welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Doing well, man, thank you. So again, I, I told you this in the, in the pre-show when we were getting ready that I was trolling on your LinkedIn profile page. And, and there's something that caught my attention that I want to unpack with you a little bit, ready? So, and, and I quote, this is on your, on your, on your uh, LinkedIn page. It says, uh, pretty into startups, seed upgrades, chocolate labs, and, and this is the part that I want to unpack, age appropriate pickup basketball games. <laughs> so what, where, where did that come from? What happened that, that caused you to post that? Uh, well, I'm getting older. So, you know, I find myself every once in a while in a game where uh, if you feel like the, uh, if you look around and you're the oldest guy and uh, then it's probably not a great court to be on, uh, especially when, you know, get to a certain point. And uh, that has happened to me. That happens to me more and more uh, at this point. So um, it was great when you're kind of middle of the pack, kind of young out there. You're like, oh, this will be a couple runs, five, six, seven runs. I'll be great. Now it's like, let's just get two or three wins and uh, you know, I'll probably be good for the day. <laughs> uh, oh, man, that's hilarious. Well, at least you, you know, at least you're talking about bas- pick up basketball games. You're not like me where, you know, you're considering mall walking at this point because you, you've reached that age where it's like, ah, it's too hot outside. And I, wa- I don't want to exercise really, but I want to get my steps in. Totally. Uh, you, you know what? I, I'll say this over the last two years, I've played a lot less basketball. So I, I think I've, uh, I've gotten pretty close to retirement. I managed to come up with another, a, uh, another competitive outlet, I guess. Well, I'll get you some squeaky sneakers. You can join me in the mall. <laughs> so racing the, uh, the, the old folks who are just getting laps in. That's right. That's right. All right, Brian. Well, welcome to the show, man. Excited for our conversation. Let's, let's, let's jump in here. Let's talk about this motivation and sales rep engagement. So let's, let's start with the negative stuff because, you know, everybody loves a good negative story and there isn't enough of that in the world. So from your perspective, Brian, what are the biggest demotivators that you, that you see for sales reps? 
Yeah, well, I think I think it's a huge, huge challenge. And, and you kind of mentioned um, you mentioned something that, that was really, uh, I think, accurate uh, at the lead into the show, and that's that you can't, you know, you, you may not be able to be responsible for to- totally eliminating, you know, demotivation or or a lack of motivation in your team. Um, but I think great managers, I think great sales organizations, kind of as a whole, can mitigate it for sure. And so I think that. You've got these. You've got a couple tenants that rear their head from time to time, and I'm sure a lot of people. Uh, if you said what you know, what gets a, a rep, uh, you know, disgruntled maybe before you know before you're even you know demotivated or whatever or disengaged, um, it does have it does have to do with comp. Like that's a that's a really typical kind of easy out. If you start messing with, I think every leader knows you start messing with people's comp. You start messing with the plan. You're going to get some grumblings. You may get some people, you know, looking at the door, uh, making some calls. But I think that that is kind of um, the overarching simple uh, answer. I think that's where a lot of people say, okay, well, we're not going to mess with the plan or we're not messing with the plan. So everyone should be happy. Um, There's a lot of other reasons. And and, uh, so I'll go through a couple. One is um, one that we see a lot is that, there's this uh, cultural, it's, it's changing, but it's still, still in some of the market or some of the sales orders we work with. Like, hey, you've got quota, you've got this variable comp, you've got this commission plan, shut up and do sales. Shut up and get, you know, book, book meetings, get revenue, close deals. Like, and I think that is, for a lot of folks, especially for a younger generation, incredibly demotivating. They want to join a company, be part of a workplace. And they're, they're oftentimes, I believe, part of a mission and they want to see that mission be accomplished beyond just what's in, you know, their responsibility, which may be shepherding customers through to a signature or whatever. Um, So not allowing people to feel like they're part of the bigger organization or be recognized and viewed as part of the bigger organization. Um, So siloing those, siloing those reps, stereotyping the stereotyping those people. I think those are big demotivators. Um, You know, along the same vein, uh, sales is a is a journey, and it's not just a oh this person's um, energetic and outgoing and good at conversation. Like they're a seller, and like that's what they're going to be. And they're they're on a, the account executive team. Um, and we see orgs do this where it's kind of like oh you got on this path, that's the path you're on. Like the development path is like you know junior AE, AE, senior AE, enterprise. Like and that's all that it is. And I think that you know, regardless of, of generation, um, you know, there's a lot of reps who I think kind of feel stuck and they feel like, oh, the org just sees me as this one dimensional player. Uh, and they don't know what the development path is. or They don't feel like they might have a development path other than getting a higher quota year after year after year. Uh, and so I think coaching, developing, uh, continuing to invest in those people as, you know, truly, truly a resource and a, and a big talent a big talent resource for your company versus just great i got a sales team and uh they're gonna keep selling more and more and more uh, so coaching and development um is a is can be uh or lack of it can be a big demotivator i should say and then um you know another one is bureaucracy and we see this a lot of times where um you know there's a stat i'm gonna i will get the stat wrong someone will correct me on your twitter or somewhere but I think, I think the number of the most recent 
the most recent time I saw it was that reps now spend only about a third of their time actually selling. They said they spend the other two thirds of their time doing whatever. And mainly it's like the administration of sales tools, CRM, um, you know, putting leads into the system, whatever. And I think that is a real big frustrating uh, part for folks who are, you know, maybe really, maybe really wired to go talk to customers or go solve people's problems or go help shepherd a deal across the line. So those are just a couple. I'm sure we'll get into a couple more, but uh, yeah, I think, I think stereotyping kind of putting people in a bucket, the lack of coaching and development, the lack of recognition and uh, maybe appreciation outside of the sales or revenue or, and then, um, you know, sometimes what can be called the administrative side of sales uh, can be some things that, that really burn people out. So you said a couple of things that were really, really interesting to me. Uh, well, not, not all of it. What you could read that lots of different ways. Some of some of what you said was not. That's not what I'm saying. That's I can't go hundred percent. <laughs> you know, 60% of the time it works a hundred percent of the time works every okay. time. So no, um, there was something that really stood out to me when, when you were talking, that was, you know, um, people don't like to be boxed, right? They don't want to be stereotyped. Oh, sales, therefore X, Y, or Z. Turns out people have desires, wants, needs that, that are well beyond their, their job function. And just like anybody that's in ops or some other place inside the organization wants to be seen as a whole human being. I think what you're saying is sales are people too. Uh, sales are. reps are people to you. <laughs> Until they turn into robots, which I don't see happening really soon. Uh, I think they're people too. Yeah, man. So that, 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 I think that's totally fair. So, and then the messing with comp. Oh my. Okay. So you, you want, you, you really want to hurt yourself as a sales leader. Yeah. Go ahead. You know, mid Q2, Start, you know, get your pencil out, get your eraser out and start futzing around with, with comp. Yeah, you're, you're going to damage your sales team and yourself. That's the, the quickest way to wreck yourself right there. Okay, so so these are some of the demotivators that we see, um, you know, in, in, in general. As a sales leader, how do you actually identify? You know, what are the telltale signs? People don't, there, there's not like a sign that pops up behind the head of the sales rep that's like, Oh, demotivated. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm about to go disengaged. That doesn't happen. Yeah. Right. So yeah. what, what are those telltale signs when a rep is starting to struggle? I think uh, that's really interesting because I think there are some signals. There may not be a telltale sign hovering above their, their desk or whatever, but, and this is one of the things I think that I'm proud of, that ambition does a decent job as a, as a product platform of highlighting Um and the performance can start to wane. And there could be some KPIs, you know, for our maybe a little bit more sophisticated or more data-driven organizations. We see a lot of folks, they're tracking all of the, they, they are tracking or they have the aspiration to track all the activities that are happening. They're trying to track people's pace, um, you know, in terms of certain objectives or targets. They want to track pace in comparison with their peers. Um, and what you can see is, is people kind of shut off, right? They start to shut off the switch. Uh, both from an activity standpoint, but certainly from just an engagement of the team standpoint. And I think there's some really, there's some really easy, you know, not technology-driven ways to, to, to see this or monitor for it. But one thing that we saw a lot of people start doing during COVID and during kind of this massive shift for, uh, or to remote work and, and work from anywhere or work from home 
is they started doing more stand-ups, more group stand-ups as a team and more individual check-ins. Uh, so one-on-one with a manager or a sales leader and a rep. But the group check-ins, I think, is a really important place to kind of get that temperature check because uh, it's one thing when you're one-on-one and, and Ryan, you're like, well, Brian, how are you doing? You know, what's going on? What's in the pipeline? How's, you know, what's the biggest thing you want to work on? Like, I'm probably going to answer. I'm probably going to be kind of forced to participate if it's just you and I. And I'll probably give, hopefully I'm going to give some semblance of answers. And, and if you have a decent EQ, maybe you can figure out if I'm, I'm doing well or if I'm kind of shutting down. But in the group stuff, I think is where you can kind of see people, you know, bury their head in the sand, maybe the wrong word, but just kind of, you know, push the chair back from the table and kind of be like, well, I'm not going to participate in this. I'm not going to contribute. I'm, you know, whatever. Uh, whatever has happened, I'm out. And, you know, I think between metrics and kind of seeing the trend, if you've got someone who's real stable or who's kind of climbing slowly, if they start to trail off, that's an opportunity to proactively engage, right? They say, hey, what's going on with Bryce? Calls are dropping off or is, his opportunities are kind of lingering, what's happening? Maybe a, a, a light bulb moment. The other side is when a person who, who was, you know, maybe before that, more engaged, contributing, collaborating with the team, they get quiet, they kind of push away from the chair virtually or in the, or the office. That's a big opportunity to say, hey, something's going on here. Is it, is it a thing that we can rectify, I think is the question uh, that you want to go figure out with the rep and try to bring them back into the engaged engaged camp so there's kind of an amalgamation or a, a recipe of both metric and behavior that i'm hearing you talk about and, right. and i'm a huge believer in what in four disciplines of execution they call leading indicators right so the leading behaviors that that ultimately drive the results that you're looking for on the back end right and that's why engagement yep. is so important and that's why at the top of the at the top of the show we're saying look this negativity, which then leads to all of these telltale signs of disengagement, this could damage not just your rep, but could poison the whole barrel of apples, right? I mean, this could cause major problems. And so um, you said something I want to unpack a little bit. You said that you're proud about what you're doing at Ambition uh, in this regard. I, I don't think I, help me understand, what, what are you doing at Ambition that helps a sales leader uh, see in the team setting kind of what's going on? Help me understand this. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for the opportunity for that, Ryan. I mean, I think one of the things, and I appreciate you bringing up leading indicators. So since day one of Ambition, which is going on its ninth year right now, we've really believed in this concept of activities or leading indicators of what is happening in a sales process, uh, objectives or kind of like the midterm, longer term results of those activities, and then the results that you want as a, as a revenue team or a sales leader. So, you know, activities, objectives, results. Um, and, and those those activities are kind of, they're the trend report. And, and what we believe and what we allow for in our product is for uh, different groups within your organization, whether it be a sales team, a sales development team, customer success team, all these people are now mostly pretty metric driven and pretty process driven. There's very clear expectations of what they're supposed to do week in, week out, month in, month out. Uh, the process they go through the, you know, what I would say is like the the things that have to happen in CRM for them to be doing their job on track. Uh, and we allow managers to set very clear targets for all of those. So like it could be as overly simplistic as I expect sales development reps to make 50 calls a day or expect uh, CSM to have a uh, conversation with a customer every month. Like those are real obvious ones. 
but they can be really esoteric and be really custom to whatever the organization wants. But by putting an expectation with an activity, you start to see people who are, are they meeting the expectations? Are they doing those things? Like they should just be the baseline, you know, the baseline that you believe a rep should be doing or regardless of their role. Um, and if that starts to wane, or if that starts to get really inconsistent and choppy, now you know that's that's a first little signal, right? That's the little alarm that's buzzing that's saying something's going on with, with Brian. He's uh, He was right at target every single week, maybe sometimes beating target, maybe sometimes he misses for whatever reason, but now he's consistently off. It's been a week or two or four weeks where he's not hit it or his efficiency has waned for whatever reason. Those are metrics that we can display. Uh, and I think that gives you kind of a heads up, to, you know, a heads up warning of, um, there might be something looming. And then the other part of talking about the coaching, a big belief in a, a, of an ambition or product philosophy is that, you know, it's an entire, it's not just about the gamification. It's not just about, you know, intelligence and, and analytics about it, but it's about allowing a coaching process to happen. We call that coaching orchestration. So how do you have the one-on-one with the, with the manager? How do you have a team or a group, uh, you know, uh, check in how do you do goals whether it's for an individual or a team and by allowing people to do that make it extremely consistent make it extremely uh formulaic so like the system is just going to remind you to do it you start to see these trends and you have the opportunity to you know pull on that string and say hey performance has kind of dropped a little bit lately what's going on do we want to talk about it uh is it a training thing is it a me thing a manager is it some external factor i don't know about and it goes back to the demotivating factor about these are people, treat them like people. If the manager is buying in, the manager's you know, leaning in to investigate and figure out, hey, what's going on? The performance is not what we had before. Now you're now you care, right? Like you're trying to solve that. You're not just saying, like, give me 50 calls, you're gonna, you know, get the hell out of here. It's like, let's figure out what's going on behind the numbers. Um, and so I think that's a it's been a something, like I said, that we're really proud of, especially over the last two, two and a half years of, as, as the way organizations worked and ran, like day to day, that basically completely changed for a lot of our customers. They were in office, they were in a, a floor of all the reps or a, a section of the office that was all the SDRs. And they had to relearn how to manage people, how to interact with people. They had to do a whole new system, which might be like this on Zoom or it might be an email or, or maybe it's just in Slack or, or Teams or something like that. Um, and we enable them and we support them. And I think that, that uh, those touch points, those human elements, the opportunity to dig in with a person has allowed folks to you know, adjust and evolve to the way that they're selling now. So I think you're talking about something that's so paramount for sales leaders across the, but no matter what organization you're in, but the, there's this, uh, when I was first starting a business, I remember hearing a story, somebody telling me kind of a parable that, that talked about checking in. And, and I loved how you said how we check in, how we do what we do. That matters. Yes to that. But there was this parable that I heard and, and I want to get your, your opinion on this. So there's this pirate captain in Na- Nassau, right? And they want to go from Nassau and the Bahamas all the way down to Australia. And this pirate captain just before they're about to push off from the, the shore, they, he comes and he says, all right, I'm not going to do my pirate accent because, you know, that, that's horrific. Um, plus, who knows what you can edit it in afterward. You know, yeah, here we are. Work. You know, that's right. Uh, Johnny can throw that in. But, um, you know, hey, uh, 
I want, we're going to go from here and we're going to go to there. I'm going to go below deck. I'm going to go learn how to play the organ because everybody knows that a good pirate captain knows how to play a good organ on, on a pirate ship because that, that makes sense to have. Totally. Um, so I'll see you back, you know, on deck here. And it, it should take us about three months for us to do. I'll come back up in two months and see how we're doing. Well, two months goes by and he comes back up on deck, hasn't seen the sun. You know, he comes up and he's like, ah, comes out and says, okay, where are we? And they're like, oh, we're, we're here. And he goes, oh no, we're in Africa. What happened? And he's like, well, well, we started and we thought we were going on the right path, but you're not. Okay. Now go to Australia. This is Australia. This is Africa. Go to Australia. I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to learn Spanish because you know, um, there's apparently a lot of Spanish people in, in, in Australia, a lot of Spanish speakers. And, um, so I'll, I'll see you in another two months. Same story comes back up. They're, they're now they're in South America. Now we can use the Spanish, but he can't, he's not in his destination. The point being too much time between check-ins can cause way yeah. to get off way off course. Conversely, if you're, I mean, are you supposed to be up in somebody's face every day? I mean, what's, what's the, what's the right kind of play here, especially in a remote work setting where we, you know, how often are we supposed to connect with and, and check in with our folks? I love that. I love the, the juxtaposition of those two questions because I think the parable is really good, right? I think um, I think the reality is that now, and you know, let's take it back ten years, or I don't know, pick a, pick a time frame, twenty years. Um, you would you would come into a sales role, sales organization, and they would say, Brian, and this happened to me 10, 12 years ago, and say, Hey, here's the number. Once you do X, uh, whatever million dollars of of revenue by the end of the year. Boom, let's go. And then he'd basically do a quarterly forecast call with a bunch of other people. So there'd be a, you know, a director of sales somewhere. You didn't have video, dial in. Uh, they'd be looking at an Excel sheet and they just look at, okay, Brian's at uh, 120K, Ryan's at 250K, blah, 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 all the way down. And it's just like, hey, Brian, you think you're doing okay? Uh, yeah, yes, sir, I am. <laughs> okay, cool. Next person, next person, next person. Uh, and so there was no, there was no consistency. There's no personalization to that. And, it, you know, you're not walking through this uh, discovery process of that pipeline. You're basically just like the destination is quota attainment. Everything in between is your problem to figure out uh, and figure it out. Now, I, you know, what we see is that most organizations that we work with are on a cycle of doing a check-in every once every two weeks or at least once a month. Uh, which I think is a lot better than once a quarter or kind of the classic performance review. Maybe you're doing it once, uh, once every six months, you know, twice a year type situation. And I, I think of those as, as layers, right? Like there's this check-in that's lighter, that's a little bit more, um, hopefully it's a little bit more relevant to what's happening in that specific time frame. a little bit more on the, uh, you know, tactical side, what's going on, where can we help? What are things, your trends you're seeing in your pipeline or your opportunities or your, um, territory maybe, and let's spend 30 to 60 minutes every two weeks digging into it. And we probably have a couple action plans. We probably have a couple uh, maybe follow-ups that are generated in there. And hopefully me as a, you know, put myself in the manager's shoes here, hopefully I'm taking lots of notes. Hopefully I capture a lot of information on the front end and hopefully I, I pay attention enough and I'm, I'm, you know, involved enough that I'm taking some notes about, in this case, what Ryan is uh, going through some trends he's seeing, some areas that he wants to improve. Now, say we've done that uh, six times over the course of a, a quarter, over 12 weeks, every other week. Um, 
and we're going to a quarterly review. We're doing a little bit, you know, next layer of the onion, a little bit bigger, a little bit more meta. Um, and now I've got, I've got lots of notes. I've seen performance. I've seen some trends. I've seen how you've navigated somebody's action plans or things you want to you want to get better at or change. And now I can say, you know, looking at my my corpse of notes and some data and how the trends have gone, I say, hey man, you you really turned the X, Y, and Z around, or you really improved in this thing that you wanted to. This thing could still use some work, but hey man, like this is great. And that's now it's really relevant. You know, it's like it's not a show up. I'm like. How's the family? Kids doing good? All right, cool. All right. Uh, you still think you're on course for nine months from now? You feel good about uh, where we're going on the destination side? You're like, yeah, 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 destination's good. Now we're really tracking the trend. Um, and I think about that like Google Maps. Like I thought your, your parable was great because like if, uh, if Google Maps, you're on a six hour drive and it's like, I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to check back in an hour and a half and I'm going to check in at three hours and I'm going to check in at four and a half hours. And that was it. If you're just supposed to get to, you know, I don't know, it's six hours from here at the beach. Like, good luck. <laughs> like, good luck with those redirections or those course corrections uh, when the, you know, the Google lady comes back on. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's really relevant. I think, I think to the last part, trying to answer it more succinctly, I think it depends on the type of role and it depends on the type of sellers and the personalities that you have in that group. I think there are lots of roles where one could argue you got to do it every week. Uh, maybe it's more junior, maybe it's a more high-paced role or high-velocity high sales type role. Um, maybe it's just that people really want to be getting some engagement from their manager. Maybe you don't need 60 minutes, maybe you just need 10 or 15 minutes. Um, conversely, I think there's lots of roles where you've got, uh, you know, you've got pros and you have a lot of uh, respect and you have a lot of, um, you know, I would say a great working relationship and trust in them and, and vice versa. And maybe you don't need to connect every week or every other week maybe a month is okay and, and you get a little bit deeper and you have kind of a uh what i call like a syllabus like you got a plan for that discussion you're going to kind of hit a specific set of topics and you know maybe you don't you don't need it as often but i think it depends because i don't think one size fits all i don't think uh based on the experience and the type of work folks are doing i don't think there's just a here's what you got to do no, I 100% agree. My experience, uh, both as a sales leader, a coach, um, and, and by the way, this, this applies to outside of sales as well. Anyone, any kind of, any human being, one size fits all rarely is a good, good for, good for many. You know, it's like, it might kind of work, maybe kind of sort of, but it's not going to feel like it's for me. Right. And that's what we were saying is that people want to be seen as humans, individuals, Right. And so what's, what's my thing? How can I, how can I get better? Okay. So we've, we've talked a little bit about some of the negativity out there, some of the signs, how you can identify, you know, but for all those sales leaders out there, how can you actually prevent demotivation? Let's, let's not get all the way to demotivated and, and lack, you know, fully disengaged. Let's talk about the yeah. preventative medicine, right? So yeah. what can we do to help prevent this demotivation? Keep reps engaged, maybe again, not zippity doodah unicorns and, and rainbows coming out your ears, but what can we do? Yeah, I think that's a, a multi-billion dollar question because I think it's one of the biggest gaps in the market. <laughs> like if I'm being, you know, and I don't know your experience, um, but if it's similar to mine, or at least if it, maybe if it, it rhymes with mine, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of sales managers that we work with were just the best sales rep before, or they were a sales rep for a certain amount of time. And uh, they did well. And so when they started to expand the team, they're like, well, Ryan, what, 
well, how about you? You bet you know what we're doing. You've been doing this for a couple of years, whatever. Um, and that's that's kind of like shockingly that, that that's the thing. Like that's kind of everywhere. Uh, there's not a um, there's not like a uh, a guild of folks who become sales managers and rise to that. It's just you pick off reps one by one to become managers. And so I think that um, I think one of the things that folks need to do when they get the call up or whatever you want to, you know, they, they get to that role, whether they wanted to or not, is they have to think about what was great for them when they were a rep and uh, what, what, what was an excellent experience for them. And sometimes it's like, uh, it goes back to what you're saying, but the answer is someone actually decided to coach them. And so if you're just managing them, if you're just like looking at the seven reports in Salesforce and you're like, this one looks good, this one not so great, this one, you know, mm, this one, let's let's really dig into this, there's some problems. If you're just like managing the data and you're like analyzing them and sending it back to them and telling them to like change it, do better, do different, uh, it's probably not gonna be an awesome experience. And that's what a lot of people are doing. Now, on the other hand, you mentioned how you've been a sales coach or you mentioned that you know, a lot of people aspire to be a sales coach. That's what you want. You want a coach. You want a coach who's providing real feedback that's tangible that says, let's uh, let's workshop this opportunity. Or let's workshop this process that feels like it's not going well for you. Let's let's uh, let's do a role play of how we would handle this situation better, just like we would do in a sport coaching situation. I know not everyone's into sports, but like the analogy works pretty well. Let's practice doing this this motion or this this uh, type of exercise. And I think that's what you know, great coaches are, one, they are able to look at the data. Hopefully they have a tool like Ambition or Primary Intelligence that, that gives them some easier access to it. Uh, they're able to, you know, internalize that and make a decision of, hey, here's what I want to emphasize. Here's the things that I want to highlight or what I want us to work on. Clearly communicate those things. And then come up with a, a practice plan or a, work, a workflow where we're going to say, hey, we're at here. I want to be here. Here's what I think is going to make us better. Just like if we were showing up to basketball practice tomorrow, it's like, Brian, you suck at shooting. Let's shoot a hundred shots today, tomorrow, the next day, see if we get better. Um, those are the things that I think folks can do. And the, you mentioned, we've talked about this a couple of times, but like what the rep feels is he cares. He is, he is, uh, you know, Brian, the coach here is, uh, you know, he's bought into my success. He wants me to do well. He wants me to go succeed. Um, and I think that's big, but we can talk about lots more philosophy about that. But at the end of the day, if the rep believes that you want them to succeed, if you're, if you're um, you know, motivated for them to be successful and want them to have achieved their goals, I think you're going to have a good situation. So y yes, agree. However, Words are cheap, man. You, you got to yeah. show me as a sales rep, I have to see. And what I'm hearing you say is there, there's, I don't know if there's a shortcut, a silver bullet, you know, a, uh, you know, uh, some special pill that you can take. That's going to make like your hair regrow. man, I'm bald, uh, make your hair regrow. You, you need to spend time with your rep, helping them feel seen, help seeing them understand and aligning. And what I'm hearing you say is um, once they see you spending the time working on it together, partnering in solving the problem, the likelihood of engagement increases. This actually correlates 
a few episodes back, we did a, we did a, a show with uh, Matt Dixon, who wrote Challenger Sale. And uh, he, he's, he just wrote, or he was co-author in Challenger Sale, and he just co-authored another book called The Jolt Effect. Um, and he talks about no decisions, right? So indecisions in, in, in deals, right? Yep. And uh, he says there's kind of two buckets that cause no decisions. One bucket is uh, overcoming the inertia or the, the gravity of status quo. And he says that's the smaller portion. It's like 44% of all deals are that. And most sales reps have a book for that. But the larger portion, the 56% of the deals that are, that are impacted by a thing that he called omission bias, which is, you can Google it and check it out and, you know, whatever. But omission bias is basically inaction. It's like, I, I'm, I'm, I, I skew, skew towards inaction because I, out of fear. Now, what I'm hearing you say, and then a no action happens, right? So if I'm a buyer, um, I, I, I'm not going to make a decision because I'm afraid. And our own research, Brian says, we, we, this is brand new thinking, right? It's the first time I'm sharing this information. Our own research is showing um, something that we thought was, was, was the same was not. We used to think that losses and no decisions ran the same path. We've done a deep dive analysis of 20 years of our data. And it turns out the, the trend lines of these things could not be more different. A loss is more similar to a win, and a win in terms of trend. And there's some things that I have to overcome in order to, to win. But a no decision runs a different path entirely. It turns out, if the buyer is not ready to make a decision because of you know fear of indecisiveness or, or fear of making the wrong decision or I don't have the right information or whatever, if they're not ready to make a decision, there it doesn't matter how good I am as a sales rep, I'm not making the decision. Right. What we're saying here is one size fits all for sales rep engagement is similar to no decision, man. You come at this, if a sales rep does not, is not ready, is not in, um, does not want, does not feel heard, understood, seen, potentially we run the risk of helping that person become more um, detached, less engaged. And so what I'm hearing you say is, this needs to be customized for every sales rep. Am I following that right? I think I think the the uh, the analogy or the comparison is really good because I liken it to uh, a sales process. And like you're you're describing it exactly right. You know, all deals are unique, but all deals kind of fit fit into this path. And then how you um, how you manage that opportunity, how you you know how you work it. Like you said, there's going to be. Uh, objections to overcome. There's going to be steps that you need to get through. There's going to be whatever. You're going to have to go accomplish these things to um, get it to be closed one or closed loss. Uh, the same thing I think is true. Coaching is a process. There are ingredient. There are key ingredients that have to happen. Uh, there are key steps and key um, you know outcomes that a, a manager or a coach needs to draw out of or make make a rep aware to. But then you know, the, the, the ultimate thing is the, the, uh, the customer in that situation, if you will, is the rep, right? Like, and, and they're not buying the same thing everyone else is buying. They're, what they're buying or what they, I think they're buying is Brian wants to be successful. Please help me be successful or please, uh, you know, please um, make it known, recognize me when I'm successful, help encourage me, continue to develop me, get me to the next thing. Because like we said earlier, a lot of folks don't just want to be, you know, a mid-market 
account executive forever. They don't just want to be a sales development rep or whatever. Like they want to be Brian successful, doing stuff with his family, living his dream. And that takes uh, a variety of steps and achievement and objectives. And uh, I agree, it's, it's, it's a custom experience. I think the more that it is um, operated like a playbook, I think it makes things a lot easier on the coach, on the manager, because now you can kind of like have it running and then you can take the key insights or take the KPIs, drop in notes, drop in training recommendations. You don't have to do all the hard work. One of the things you were, when you were talking, started to drag on here, but we see that managers spend eight to 12 hours, about 25% of their time per week as an analyst, just trying to draw in data and try to, you know, figure out what am I, is it good? Is it bad? Is it him? Is it her? Is she on track? Is he on track? Is no one on track? And then you take all this analysis and you're like, what do I do with it? <laughs> like, do I, is it training? Is it, you know, is it better call script? Is it a different demo process? Whatever it is, if this deal sucks, um, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. And, and those people have a finite amount of time in their life, just like everyone else. And so, uh, you know, I think the more that we can uh, simplify that process, bring the data together, create a consistent process, the more flexibility and we enable them to be better actual coaches versus an analyst and a data retriever and whatever, all the other things. Yeah, I love that. That is, that's fantastic. Okay. So I want to go, I want to take a step further. We talked about preventative medicine. I want to get into the defuncated state, right? So let's say, <laughs> let's say we got reps. Like I'm a sales leader and I got a rep who's all funked out, right? So they're, they're in that funk. They're in that, they got the stink on them. They're, they're just like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not in a good place, man. How do we help get them out of that rut, out of that funky place, get them out of funky town and funky town in this case is funky town can be a good place, but not in this context. Right. So how do we get them out of funky town? I've not, I don't know that I've ever heard defuncated, uh, as, <laughs> as, as, I don't know. I don't know what that is. That an adjective? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, you know, you, I'll, I'll leave it to your imagination of what defuncated means. You know. Um, well, I think that, you know what. I, what I would say is, I'm probably I'm not a great manager. I, I was never a great manager. I, I think I'm an okay coach because I care about people. Um, and one of the things that I find a lot of times, which which we believe in, is is being really honest. Hey, here's here's what honestly I think is happening. And if we continue on. Uh, this course, if we continue sailing to Australia through Africa, it's not going to work out well. And, and then there's a really key point, which is what do we want to happen? Do we want it to work out? Or are we cool with it not working out? Because if we're cool with it not working out, let's make that decision soon. If we want it to work out, then what are we going to change? What are we going to do differently than we're doing today? And so you got to have lots of you know, information, you got to have some toughness to do that. You've got to have some great rapport with your rep where you have a lot of trust. Um, but if someone's, you know, I'll use, I'll use disengage. That's, that's kind of a challenge conversation, I believe, which is, do you want to be engaged? Do you want this to work? And if you do, let's make some commitments and let's make some real clear, uh, clear, um, you know, kind of uh, targets and, and action plans of how this is going to become different because the, the way you're going right now is, is uh, toward, towards not being here probably by, by whether it's your own, whether it's your own decision or whether it's by, you know, management or something like that. So that, that is 
a super powerful question. Do you want to be engaged? Cause it's about them. It's not about the sales leader, sales coach. You can't make someone engaged, right? It's a choice that right. they have to do and we can help support and grow and create environment and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, they got to choose. And yep. what you're saying is if they don't make that choice, it doesn't matter what we can do. They're not can going put, to do it. You can make the comp better. You can make the plan better. You can set cool goals. You can do presence club in, you know, wherever it, it, it's not going to matter for that person uh, or that maybe that percentage of people who are in your org. So you've got to, I think, have a different approach. And, and this, you know, this cuts differently for different parts of your team and different individuals, but um, totally believe that. I think that uh, you have to ask that question when someone is, you know, <laughs> defuncated. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a challenging one. And um, I think their tactics to that, we talk about some tactics about how the team and the culture could change that. But at the end of the day, it's about them. Do they want to do it? And are they willing to, are they willing to do it? Which is different than want to do. I could want, I want to do a lot of stuff. Am I willing to do what it takes to do those things? It's a different question. Uh, Aruba, by the way, president's club should be in Aruba. <laughs> I love Aruba. Uh, if yes, yes to Aruba. So, uh, okay. So, <laughs> Well, winding our conversation down here, Brian, by the way, this has been, this has been awesome, man. Thanks for the, the great conversation. Really helpful. Uh, you know, if you have one final piece of advice to sales leaders out there, uh, to our listeners, right? What, what advice would you give to sales leaders to help people be, uh, help reps be engaged, help them um, you know, keep motivated and just dialed in? Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, we talked about this a lot. We, we, eat, sleep, dream this. Um, I think the, the biggest thing that we've touched on is, is that you have unique humans making up your organization, making up your sales force. Um, and I think one of the biggest challenges that we see that people do all kinds of weird stuff because of is that a lot of times now we're at, we're at the juxtaposition of the leadership and the, um, the reps oftentimes on the floor are, are really different. They're from different generations. They're from different mindsets. They grew up differently. And so we see lots of people trying to force uh, culture to be cool in weird ways or try to force people to be motivated in ways that don't resonate. And, um, you know, that's hard because you, know, you got a generation of folks who came up and are now VP of sales or CRO. And they're like, it's how we did it. And it, it worked out. And look at me, here I am. I did this great stuff. I sold all these deals. I was, you know, multi-presidents club. And, uh, and now, you know, you got a lot of people who are like, I don't give a shit about going to Aruba. I want, uh, you know, I want to go take a family vacation with my family that it matters to me. And I'll bust my, you know, I'll bust my backside to go do that. Or I'll, I'll go work hard to go do X, Y, or Z because I care about it. And I'll do it for the company. I'll do it for my leader. But um, maybe I don't care about the same rewards or maybe I don't. I don't have the same um, intrinsic motivations that other folks did. And so thinking about that, uh, you know, I think critically is really important. And, and once again, I think in a lot of times it is knowing your group, knowing your audience, knowing the individual, and then trying to be really thoughtful about letting them know that, hey, you're, you want them to succeed. You want them to be here. You, you expect them to succeed. And then laying out the, uh, the plan and the process and the achievement um, the achievement map of how to go get that. You know, Brian, I, I said a last question and I just lied because you just spurred on a, another one. Um, you know, I've heard from friends and, and people that are the highest performers when motivation 
Wayne's commitment is relied on, right? So when my motivation's out, I rely on my commitment. And in this case, I, for, I want to hear about your, your, your take on this. What, what's the difference between motivation and commitment in this, in this regard? And what can they have commitment around? I mean, I, potentially this play that you're laying out, but tell, tell me more about that. Yeah, that's a, that's a super interesting way of putting it. I think, uh, you know, man, that's like, personally, I, I don't know if you like, you know, uh, I work out, there's a lot of times where I'm not motivated, but if I've told, if I've told my wife or if I've told someone at the office, like, Hey, I'm going to work out, then I feel like a total, you know, I feel like crap. If I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that. I'm going to skip this one or like, you know, whatever. And I think this, um, the concept of being part of the team, the concept of we're going to go accomplish this mission together as, as a company, but even more coherently as a small team, we're going to go generate this much revenue for the team. And to do that, yeah, I know, I know Ryan is the, he's the bee's knees. He's the our MVP. He's going to crush it, but he can't do the whole number. He's not going to do uh, whatever. We got, we got five or 10 or hundred other bodies that have to contribute and have to contribute at a level of X for us to go meet that. I think those kind of missions really do matter. I mean, I think if the smaller the group uh, and the smaller the circle you can draw around it, the more impactful it is because you can say, hey, you know, my eight people that I manage, I need each and every one of you because it's not going to be just me or it's not going to be just her. It's going to be a group of us uh, achieving together. And so in those moments where like, yeah, my motivation is zero or my, uh, I feel like, God, I have to do another demo or I have to follow up with this buyer one more time. You know what? It's like, hey, I do benefit from this, but my team also is really, uh, this, this team uh, concept is going to directly benefit or is going to be maybe penalized in some way or not have the ability to achieve because I don't do that thing. Uh, so making it about something bigger than ourselves. Uh, that people can grab a hold of and believe in, I think is, is really important. Man, Brian, that's, that's helpful. Um, and, and really it's, it's causing me to think, and I could ask a million more questions, but man, thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been illuminating to say the least really appreciate your time. Yeah. Right. Appreciate you having me. This was great. Uh, love to do it. Thank you. And listeners. For more from our friends at Ambition and Primary Intelligence, check out the show notes at primary-intel.com forward slash podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Remember, no deal is out of reach. We'll see you next time.